What do we mean when we say someone is spiritual or sensual? And how can this impact our creativity? How can being spiritual or sensual or both help us live a better life? Those are the questions that I'm going to be posing in today's episode of Positively Poetic. And I have invited my friend and fellow writer Lauren Creswell to join me in the discussion. So tune in. You ready? Ready as a ready solid crisp. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. So, I have you on this podcast today because we are often talking about sensuality and spirituality and the sort of preconceptions and misconceptions of that. Um, you want to start off by saying what your sort of definition is around that? Okay. Um, I think spirituality for me is sort of peeling back all those layers of who we've told ourselves we are and who we think we are and sort of just connecting to the true essence of ourselves and then in turn I think that connects us to that thing that is far greater or bigger than us all but yet is us all so it's all about connection and truth and whatever mixes in with that so then how important do you find that in, I guess, surviving the madness of life and in particular right now when everything is going crazy, when you're sort of channeling that inner spirituality, how does that keep you going, as it were? Well, this is the thing. I feel like people have their different practices, don't they? So for everyone, it's quite an, quite an individual thing. So for me, I quite like to meditate or do some yoga or just do something that connects me to that core being even if it's just creating um what do you do what do i do well i this is the thing when we went back to before about sort of labeling and and whatnot i feel like i constantly change it around and Mm -hmm. i think the most common thread is that i normally just go out to the trees in the forest and find somewhere outside to just get out of the house especially right now um and obviously writing just doing a yeah. bit of poetry, something to get the the brain away from monotony, anything that gets away from the everyday routine, I guess. Mm-hmm. But that's also like why I don't like writing too often or all the time because writing then becomes sort of part of the monotony. But yeah. for you, because you're also a writer and you have a book coming out, plug, plug, plug. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> How does your spirituality and sensuality, how does that all sort of come into your process of writing? And is is that, I guess, almost always what you write about? That's a very interesting question. Because I feel like everything we do in life feeds into everything else. So anything that's going on in our inner world is what we perceive of the outer world and vice versa. So whatever is happening within our soul or spirit or whatever you want to call it that is automatically going to feed into anything you create or do whether you realize it or not so for me maybe it's just a subconscious linking between the two you know like I don't I don't sit down and think right I'm gonna write something spiritual today um because I don't even know how to define that really that's interesting just is what it is so then you mentioned sort of inner world and outer world. Do you? How do you mm. separate the two? 
Well, I think they're inter- intertwined and linked. Yeah. You know, we're all connected, aren't we, in this vast cosmic space? Think that the inner world is just ourselves and the outer world is anything that's not us? Or is it, you know, the world and then the universe? Or do you not, Ooh. you know, how would you find the distinction between what counts as inner and what counts as outer? Well, I think that's what maybe I was trying to say earlier. Like, we, ev- everything is connected. Mm-hmm. So the inner and the outer are, are one. Right. It's one unit. Mm-hmm. But in order to connect fully with that, you have to connect with yourself and also with the world. Otherwise, you can't have one without the other. I don't think. <laughs> yeah. If that makes any sense. I think so, yeah. But so when it comes to obviously having questions of me saying, you know, how would you define this? How how do you, what do you call this? I know that you're not one to enjoy labels as it were (laughs) so how does that come into everything like do you find it easy to be spiritual without labels do you ever feel like you need them well I think I'd be (laughs) quite happy without any labels in life that would be quite nice I understand why we do it as humans we need to define something and understand it so Mm -hmm. other people can relate right but um, for me I think it just is what it is I don't think I need that kind of attachment to something. It's like, imagine if you said to yourself, oh, I'm a happy person, then you're always gonna feed into that narrative that that's who you are. And all your actions and thought processes, it all feeds into that thought of your defined self perception. But actually, if you just took that away, you could just be. And so when you weren't happy, it wouldn't matter because you're not trying to reach a narrative of who you are. You just are who you are. Yeah, and I feel like that it's almost like a, a double-edged sword sometimes in that you feel like you need something mm. to feel normal, not just for yourself, but for other yeah. people. And I know a lot of people when we were younger um, had the urge to self-diagnose anything that was happening, whether that's, you know, actually like sort of... Um, a cold or a normal flu or, or, or depression or anything like that. They had to find the common threads and find the symptoms and then self-diagnose. And for a lot of us, that helped because once you have that word, once you have that label to attach to it, you sort of feel like you know how to attack it. But at the same time, by putting that diagnosis down, by putting the label down, you're then you know, enforcing it and enabling it almost. So it, it's weird to find the balance between the two and is there i don't know is there anything that you do label enough to to help you in that journey like in that sense of depression you would say okay i do have this i do struggle with it but it's not like a label to yourself i guess yeah yeah i think yeah what you say about finding a balance point actually is probably the healthiest way to look at it yeah so you can understand okay i have ocd or depression or whatever it is that you have um i'm experiencing that but that is not who i am Mm -hmm. you know so we can create this kind of connected disconnect if that makes sense to you (laughs) so it's like okay i understand this is what's happening but also i'm not this yeah so it's like a bridge between the gap yeah and i think that comes to sort of the the misconceptions when you say to someone 
you know, about religion, if someone says to you, what are you? Sometimes you don't know what to say. So I think a lot of people will yeah. blanketly say, I'm a, not a spiritualist, but I'm spiritual because those are two very different things. Um, mm. But then do you ever feel obliged to tell people if, if they say, um, you know, what do you believe in or what, um, what does spirituality mean to you? Do you ever feel obliged or do you just find that quite annoying? <laughs> It's interesting, actually, because I had a very similar conversation with a lady the other day, and she said mm. to me, are you spiritual? And I sort of had to take a moment, and I said to her, to an outsider's perspective, mm. yes, they would say I'm spiritual, but I wouldn't attach myself with that label. Mm. Um, but yeah, it like threw me off a bit, because I was like, <laughs> oh... Well, well, aren't we all spiritual beings? Really, it's yeah. whether we've tapped into it or not. Mm -hmm. um, so, language is an interesting thing. But that, I think what you've just said there is, is quite interesting in itself because then each of us ends up believing in something so resolutely that we believe it mm. sort of is the same for everyone. Like, I feel a sense of spirituality and I believe that we all have that spirit, but to other people, they might not believe that even exists. You know, we're just muscles and bones to other people. Um, yeah. And I don't know, it's really interesting when you think of it that way, because it's, sometimes it's difficult to not necessarily relate, but sort of have that conversation with other people that are so resolutely believed on, you know, and there's a God or there's a spirit or there's not a spirit, oh. you know, it's, it's hard to have that discussion. Do you think it's important to try and have those conversations? Yeah, I think it's healthy. Mm -hmm. And it's also healthy to talk to people who believe in different things to you. Um, I remember being an absolute hardcore atheist uh, a couple of years ago, and I happened to <laughs> wander into a Christian bookshop and I became friends with uh, the man who ran it and it was a beautiful friendship and he taught me so many things, not through preaching, but just by having that open dialogue and listening to yeah. each other. Actually, without that conversation, I wouldn't be here today mm. in this mindset. Yeah. So it's really important to engage, I think, in those kind of situations. Because yeah. that's really interesting like, because um, I sort of grew up under some sort of pretense of Christianity um, my school was partly Christian. I think most of us in England went to a C of E school. Um, and I went to Sunday school, so I was around a lot of these sort of hymns and, and whatnot. And when I was at university, we had a lot of um, events where I was a videographer and I had to go there and there were gospel events and church events. And being in the atmosphere of, you know, people singing these incredible songs and being so overwhelmed by them, really, it inspires you to believe in something. So even if you go in there an atheist, you understand the importance of believing in something. Yeah, <laughs> um, it's amazing. Whatever isn't it? that is. Um, and it's really overwhelming sometimes, I think. So what would you say, did you have a sort of pinnacle moment where things shifted for you? Or do you think it was just something that happened naturally? Um, I think it was a gradual thing because... I mean, it was quite stupid to begin with because I was probably about uh, 13, 14 when I stopped being Christian or stopped believing that there was a God. And 
That was mainly... Wait, no, 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 no. Because that, that sounds really weird. Because one of the reasons I stopped believing in God was because I realised Santa wasn't real. And <laughs> I thought, well, if Santa's not real, God can't be real. <laughs> I love that. So whenever I stopped believing in Santa, which definitely wasn't 13, <laughs> I'd be a bit late. <laughs> Um, I know, some people still believe in Santa now. <laughs> I think it was probably seven or eight. Um, that, I don't know why I started doubting after that. Mm. Um, but I, in in a weird, not to reach, but in a weird way, it sort of is that point where you don't have to believe everything you're told. And I think naturally mm. when we're born and we grow up, people say, okay, there's a God. That's just a, a, a no-brainer. And that's what we're taught from the beginning. So you have to start deciding that for yourself. Um but I, I mean, I've said this to you before, where I feel like the time I properly understood it, and I feel like a lot of people start to get this journey when it comes to spirituality is um, at university, where you're around so many liberal ideas. And I went to, you know, a famously liberal university where we had so many protests back in the day, and that sort of carried on through each generation. So there was a lot of people to talk to about these different things. And I mean, a lot of people also who weren't just on drugs because I feel like that's one of the other preconceptions of people that are spiritual is that we all just snort coke and take weed or whatever, but it's not mm. true. <laughs> um, no. Uh, but no, I feel like the, the first proper time when everything felt quite like it fit in place was when I jumped down the stairs and uh, narrowly avoided a much more serious issue. Um, yeah. And, you know, obviously I went to the hospital, was covered in blood and, and whatnot, and I was fine the next day, and I pretty much carried on my life after that, after just some glue in the head. But as someone that's tall and quite broad, to be able to jump downstairs like that and be fine by, you know, by comparison to what yeah. could have happened, yeah. was I couldn't get around that idea. So for months and months afterwards, I was trying to battle with how that's even possible. And it, it felt like to me that there was at least some sort of presence, whether it's within the body or the mind, that is trying to protect you. Mm. And I put that down to some sort of spirit within the body that exists outside of just bones and, and yeah. muscle and all that. And it, it's interesting because you almost wonder if, you know, when I first jumped at uh, the, the start of the stairs, just because I'm an idiot and I was drunk, um, that something in the spirit does something, I don't know, to, to the legs when you move or something to the way you, you're, you're moving yourself that contorts you just enough so you'll miss the step or whatever it is. And it's really oh, interesting wow. as like a, a protection point. Um, I don't know if it's quite as, as deep as that and quite as controlled as that, but it, it's an interesting thing to think about that at the right precipice of something very dangerous, you might run into just a, something protective. Wow. You know, I'd never thought that before. <laughs> I mean, that, that, and this is the thing, the possibilities of what what is or what could be out there is infinite. Yeah. Just as the universe is infinite. Mm. Um, so really, we, we don't know. And that's the beautiful thing about it. We'll never mm. know, really. We'll just feel intuitively what feels right for us, I guess, as humans living on this plane. <laughs> and so as a, as a creative do you feel like creative representation in whatever form comes is helpful because i also think as silly as it sounds my obsession with horror films um probably 
gave that weird bit of imagination that maybe there's some sort of spirits running around um, and then mm. I can make my decision from that. I don't know. What yeah. do you think of representation when it comes to film and, and writing and theatre and all that? Do you mean what's already out there? What's the out there and what can be created? Like, do you ever feel like you want to represent this belief that you have or this feeling that you have or the approach that you have to the world in your poetry, in your writing, in, in whatever you do so that other people are inspired or do you just let the, the pen do what it does? Hmm. It's an interesting question, to be honest, because it's so many layers. Um, but I think ultimately, if we are just our true selves, we will inspire others no matter what. Mm -hmm. um, but personally, I would quite like to serve people in some way yeah. through my creativity. Mm -hmm. That's the ultimate kind of path of joy for me. <laughs> Um, and if that happens, that would be great. And if not, you know, yeah, that's fine too. Um, but you just don't know, do you? <laughs> I mean, we inspire people every day just yeah. by being alive. Yeah, that's true. And I, but I think for, I think I'm probably mid to late teens. A lot of what helped me was, uh, you know, reading some of the magazines that were out there and reading. I don't know how long Instagram was around at that point, but, um, you know, reading certain poetry that I saw online and whatnot. And uh. obviously some of that's just people talking from their, their own experiences. And most of it was, um, and it's interesting again, to go from other people's beliefs because thought catalog, who obviously I write for now when I wasn't writing for them, I was on there constantly and, and reading a lot of their articles. And a lot of what they do is, is quite religious. Like, a, the majority of the writers who are there are Christian in some sense and often talk about God in, in survival. Um, mm. and even when I didn't believe in God, I think that's an interesting idea that there's something there at least that, you know, they have a plan for you. That idea that when people say, you know, God has a plan for you, even mm. when you don't believe in God as such, it weirdly comforts you. Yeah, and I think that you know echoes into your own beliefs, whatever they are. Um, I don't know. That's sort of what I mean by representation, I guess, um, in whatever form. Um, mm. So then, because one of the reasons I wanted you on here as well was that you have your spirituality and you have your sensuality, and I feel like they're sort of connected in a sense, but also mm. again that when it comes to sensuality, people are very, uh, they don't understand how mm. they would define it and they have their own preconceptions again. Yeah. In a way. So I guess moving into that side of things, how do you interact with that? How do you think it matches up with your spirituality? I think really deep down, we are all sensual beings. It's just whether we're ready to embrace it. You know, we, we live in this society where actually sex, being sexual and being sensual have somehow become this blurred and blurred thing that's one but actually they're very very different um you know you hear the word sensual and you automatically think female but men are sensual beings too and you know any gender is sensual even if you don't define with a gender just being a human 
is to be sensual in some way. Um, but like you say, like it means different things for different people. So uh, maybe it's just a quality that people have. That's interesting. Because I don't know if I would say, oh, I'm very sensual. I wouldn't necessarily say that's who I am. Yeah. But I know that that's an energy that people get from me, from interacting or at least reading. I think, again, it comes to the preconceptions of the what you might think of sensual and what other people might think of sensual yeah. is could be completely different but because they believe yeah. it's all about sex or it's all about this then they'll be like okay well you're clearly this or you're clearly that yeah. um i don't know i don't know how you would get a around that or do you do you, do you find that frustrating when people no, no i don't and i think that's the thing that we also need to learn is how to accept that we we cannot have a hand in what people think about us and actually that's very freeing because we can just be ourselves and know that whatever they're projecting onto us it has nothing to do with us and it, we don't need to take it personally um mm -hmm. and ultimately it doesn't really matter i don't well <laughs> i personally don't take much heed to it do you? Do you feel like you're quite affected by outer perceptions? Um, <laughs> I, I think I, I hesitated because I, I definitely used to be. I think I'm probably less so now, and I think that's probably because conversations I've had with you and and certain oh. other people. Just because I, I don't know, as you grow up, you you move away from that need to be understood, um, oh. and. I don't know. I feel like once I'm in my own bubble, once I'm in my circle, as long as the people around me sort of have some idea of who I am, um, mm. in order to not, <laughs> not tolerate me, but in order to, <laughs> you know, know if certain actions I do are as a result of uh, sensitivities or whatever it is, I feel mm. like it, as long as people understand who you are at a base level, then that's all that really matters. Um, yeah, yeah, because we all want that connection, don't we? We want to be yeah. understood as humans. Ultimately, fundamentally, that's what we look for. We, you know, we look for it in partners and friends and ourselves. Um, so it can be quite jarring if we don't feel connected with the people around us. Yeah, and I think it's interesting what you were saying about um, sensuality being sort of whatever you think it is and that it's mm. something that people don't quite understand and i guess it's almost difficult to say spirituality sensuality because they're almost identical in some sense Ooh. and it's hard to say um I, I feel like there is a distinction but i can't necessarily find it that much because it's almost as if one is a a branch of the other yeah um and I feel it's like it's a little bit like what you were saying on your podcast last time, you know, how everything seems to be linking in in some way. Yeah. It's it's the same. When when know. I think of myself as spiritual, I would also call myself sensual, but I, I don't know again where the spiritual aspects then blend into sensual. But I don't again, yeah. like you said, it doesn't really matter as long as you, you feel it. And I think yeah. almost almost every poet 
almost every writer or almost every creative even is probably within that terminology because they have their whole um, hobby and their whole career, whatever they're doing, taps into that. And that's all, all oh. we're doing, really. We're publicly allowing ourselves to explore that. Yeah. Um, and I feel like the new wave of creativity and poetry that explores that is quite endearing. I don't know how long mm. that will last or how... Do you, do you think we just need to get desensitized to things or how, how would you say it oh. affects us? Desensitized in what way? Well, I, get, I mean, this comes to, uh, again, the boundary of the sexual, sensual, but just as a small thing in terms of um, the new wave that I was talking about is, is around sort of female pleasure from, yeah. from themselves. And that's yeah. a huge thing right now. I'm not sure where it's come from, but it, it suddenly had a, a resurgence of discussion where everyone's talking about the fact that females can get whatever pleasure they want from themselves. And right. the sort of approach to that right now is, I feel like, desensitization to the... I don't know. Like It's a bit like when I did the poetry for the period monologues in that mm. a lot of what we were doing was half I guess shock tactics and just saying things that were once sort of icky in school um, and saying it until it no longer becomes that and I think that's what I mean by yeah. desensitization but at the same time when you have those discussions I don't know if there's ever a concern that it will be so desensitized that there's no care towards it as well since you need some sort of balance I guess yeah, back to the balance point. We've gone full circle, but it's true. But then I suppose there's a way of um, having an open conversation and sort of rewriting those old narratives without it becoming something, again, that it's not. Right. You know? Yeah. But it's tricky because we're human beings and whatever humans touch seem to uh, <laughs> <laughs> fall into a disarray. But... Uh, I, I believe we can we can do it. We so can then, do talk about your book. Mm. What do you want, I guess, for people to get from it? Because it is, um, I would say, probably on the lines of, like I said before, Selma Ardwin, Elwa Hardney, um, and Ruby Core in the way that it sort of does a lot of, wow. you know, its, it's approaches in, in that way. And it's, I don't know how you would necessarily describe that side of things where, um, you're you're sort of trying to break a barrier that it's that's yeah. already somewhat open. And so, yeah. for you, what are you trying to to get from that? Is it are you literally just expressing yourself and people have got to accept it, or is there also an intention behind it? I think it's both. So I think through that expression of me just pouring myself onto those pages, I'm hoping that it can inspire others to do the mm. same. And also know that they're not alone. You know, there's a there's a lot through um, sort of sensuality and surrender and desire and love that we just don't talk about. It's just not expressed enough. You know, it's either the full bear loves amazing or it's the heartbreak, and there's no no in between. Um, so it would be nice if at least one person just read it and thought, oh wow, I, I can take something from this. And this will inspire me to 
change my perspective in mm-hmm. some way. That would be good. Did you have that when you were writing your book? Did you have an intention? Um, I think I had an intention for the last one because I'd had the the trial run of Whispers to the World where I was mainly doing it for myself. Yeah. I was trying to see what it would be like to self-publish and I was trying to get a bunch of stuff out that I hadn't got out in therapy <laughs> um, in the simplest of way of putting it. And I was just trying to get stuff on the page and if it helped someone, fine. But I think there was less of an intention in that one. So when it came yeah. to the second and people were so kind about the first, there was more of a concentration, more of an effort to make yeah. sure that whatever I was writing was... I guess it was more about the structure, that it was structured in a way that it, it left the readers with something. So the idea was yeah. that they were going along a journey of, you know, adulthood was the whole idea that as you're growing up, you're going through different stages of yeah. acceptance and denial and, and heartbreak and all these different things. But by the end, you understand the positives in all of it. Yeah. Um, and I guess that's also the point of this podcast, in a sense, is to... Yeah leave yeah. something with someone um, whoever it is <laughs> but that intention did seep through nice to me at least when i read it i was like okay yes like and it just goes to show if you have an intention you don't need to outwardly say here's my intention but people know intuitively reading it okay yeah this is where we're going with this but do you think we I guess this sort of comes to your point before. Do you think it's natural for us to do that, to leave an intention by the end of it? Because we're almost sort of tied into this idea of a happy ending that sometimes it's difficult for us to ever finish a project without it coming back to a a message or a meaning. Yeah. And that's something I find quite tricky. Yeah. Like imagine leaving a book on a cliffhanger, but it doesn't have a part two. Right. Yeah. I guess that... Well, that makes me feel quite uneasy because <laughs> we we want everyone wants a revolution. Revolution? Yes, we want the revolution. I mean, resolution. <laughs> <laughs> Just slipping the politics in there by accident. It's a Freudian slip. <laughs> we want a resolution, um, but then we probably only want that because every story we've ever encountered in our lives growing up has had an ending. Yeah. Um, but then everything does have an end and with an end comes a beginning or something else. (laughs) But I think again, there's almost, uh, so I, I don't mind too many, I don't mind an ending that's not happy or that's not like, Mm. oh yeah. And I think, I think that's the point is that there's a difference between a resolution and a happy ending in Mm -hmm. that happy ending makes you feel great and you're like, okay, great. But a resolution is just that something's, and I guess there's more of a. No, I guess it does apply to poetry as well, but it's more prevalent in novels where you've sort of had a full circle development of the character. Mm. And that's a resolution itself that you've seen the journey, whether it's happy or not. So like some of my favorite stuff isn't happy ending. I think most people will know. Yeah. And, you know, Sylvia Plath is my favorite poet and almost everything she does is where it's termed as confessional. So it's just her writing Mm. on the page and her journal was never meant to be published. And then, yeah. but, but after she died, it was just all published. So you read that and you see as she's growing up, 
from being an 18 year old to being a 30 year old that mm. you're just seeing the journey and it's interesting whenever we do see people's journey because we're in the middle of our own yes so we don't have yeah. the end yet so whether the end is good or not seeing it in someone else's is um satisfying yeah whichever way it is even if it leaves us feeling yeah. crap <laughs> yeah because there's a sense of relatability isn't there you feel like you're not alone yeah when you read someone else's journey but then does the journey ever end really that's the big question well that that comes into a, again a different a different thing of like yeah well, i guess that goes back to spirituality in that you know does it stop at death does it carry on yeah. does it matter do you because um, i feel like for me it's nice to have the belief in spirituality after death okay and yeah. the idea of legacy the idea of spirits moving from one body to another or starting over mm. again rebirth i've always loved the idea of rebirth whether i believe in it or not i don't really know yeah um i think i was always very scared at the finality of death mm. and so that at yeah. some point in my life thinking about spirits and then applying that to the idea of after death it just comforts it a little bit more mm. um I don't know. How do you feel in terms of death and spirituality and whether we carry on? I mean, I don't have any answers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a funny thing to think about because really we don't know. Mm. So all we can do is surmise. Um, but I, I do think that the core of us is just energy. So an energy can't really die. Um, so whether that lives on just through an interaction, so like say you and me today, we've had this conversation, this transference of energy through technology. So a tiny, tiny weeny part of you has transferred into me in some way. Mm -hmm. So really, you can never die because your energy has been transversed everywhere. But whether that translates into other things, I do not know. Because then that's also interesting um, when it comes to the, the younger generation in that, you know, I have a niece, mm. so my energy is in some way part of her life. So yeah. even when I die, there's some of some sort of energy around around my niece, almost like an aura. Yeah, um, yeah. Which is quite beautiful. And I guess that just carries on. But yeah, that's interesting. I like that. <laughs> I mean, we'll never know. And I think that's what's the fascinating thing about it. Like, we will never have the answers. Yeah. So all we can do is kind of chat about it and see what feels right for us. But at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. It matters and it doesn't, you know. I think what you said about uh, all that matters is that matters for us and that we have our own definition is probably the yeah. way to go with it and probably a good way to end um yeah to wrap up there um it's a wrap <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah that was um really cool and thank you for coming on thank you for having me there any, was really there anything really else you wanted it. to say as, as a as a plug or anything you want to say about the book before we leave it check it out <laughs> <laughs> do you know when it's coming out yet or do you have you got like no a, no it will be out later this year um nice. it's just sort of figuring out the logistical side of things as you know 
um, but it will it will be there in the universe somewhere. <laughs> cool. Excited. Thank you for coming along. <laughs>